Luke chapter number 10, uh, starting at the 25th verse. I'm going to read uh, through the 37th verse, and if you want to put a marker in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, that's where I'll be going uh, after that. Uh, I might get there. It just depends on how the Holy Spirit speaks through this message. Um, this is uh, an important uh, passage of Scripture that I feel like uh, is going to add on to what we discussed last week in the message, Don't Be Religious. Uh, here's what it says, starting in the 25th verse. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And I think that's exactly the tone he said it in. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So uh, I, I want to teach from the subject uh, today, religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. Last week in our message, we dealt with a spirit, the spirit of religion and how it blocks us from having relationship vertically with God Today, I want to talk to you about how the spirit of religion can block you from having relationship with your neighbor, with other people. So, so bow your heads. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to get rid of this religious spirit. Amen. <laughs> the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the uh, most revered parables in the New Testament, even to this day, when someone does a very kind act, a heroic deed, they'll still be referred to as the Good Samaritan. News outlets would pick up a story that feels good. They're only going to tell you the feel-good stories in the last five minutes of their broadcast. The first 55 minutes is dedicated to bad news and drama. The last five minutes is dedicated to the little girl that sold lemonade Maybe a good Samaritan to help the old lady cross the street or get a kid's cat out of a tree. 
But where it started was in a story that Jesus brought to a religious expert. Now, the thing that's amazing to me about uh, his title and, and, and how he is described in Scripture uh, is because a religious expert was someone that adhered to the Mosaic law down to the last letter. They were either of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, uh, and if they weren't part of one of those two sects, they were actually lawyers. Anytime you see this word uh, 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 religious expert, they were of one of these two camps, the Pharisees or the Sadducees. If not, they were just a lawyer. They were the type of people that solved and resolved civil matters of the Mosaic law. So Jesus uh, is talking uh, to his disciples and an extended group of people. And the religious experts were always trying to find a way to legally, according to Mosaic law, tie up Jesus. Now, this is absolutely hilarious to me. And the reason why it's hilarious to me is because they're taking the word and trying to test the word that is in flesh against the word that was written on the paper. And every time they tried to test Jesus with his own words, he left them dumbfounded, confused, and completely silent. So this religious expert says, I'm, I'm going to test this guy. I got him. I, I got these other guys have tried. They've taken their shots. They haven't been able to be successful. I got something for him. So, uh, hey, Jesus, uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus' response to the man's question. Hey, um, what does the law of Moses say, religious expert? You're the lawyer. Why don't you tell me? How do you read it? And I love Jesus' response. It's not just what does the Mosaic law say, but how do you read it? How do you interpret it? Can I, may I stop and just say uh, 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 it's important how you interpret Scripture? You've got to remember that, that the enemy's second test against Jesus after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights was to test him with his own scriptures. The first test was to turn stones into bread after he found out that that was not going to be successful. He said, uh, why don't you uh, throw yourself down from a very high place? The scriptures say that if you were to fall down, the enemy, the, the, the angels would come and scoop you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. See, the enemy knows scripture too, but he only knows, knows enough and wants to quote enough to have you twist it up in something that's going to compromise your integrity. So he says, uh, how do you read it? And he says, well, uh, scripture says to love the Lord God with all of your uh, mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, that's it. That's right there. You do that, you're going to live. Have a good day. And it was almost like the guy was like, wait a minute. You're a little too jipper with that answer. Especially that last part about loving your neighbor. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Because when I say love your neighbor, you know I'm talking about Jewish people. The religious expert, love your neighbor as yourself, their context were other Jewish people. P 
people that were Israelites. So, so the way Jesus responded, he was like, wait a minute, are we talking about the same thing? So he said, well, well who is my neighbor? Jesus was like, sweet. You are toast. Let me tell you a little story. So, so there was a Jewish man, one of your neighbors, uh, and he was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, just so you know, Juliet and I went to uh, Israel for the first time last year, and uh, we got baptized in the Jordan River, because I guess that's what everybody does when they go to Israel. They just got to get baptized in the Jordan River. We had already been baptized. We believe Jesus is Lord. But when we got to Israel, we were like, we have to get in this dirty water. And so we did. <laughs> and it is dirty. And we did take a shower. So we got in the water. We got dunked. And as we drove the bus back up to Jerusalem, it started to dawn on me um, how much these people walked. Because we drove to all of these places and then got out at a safe distance and like walked up a little hill. And I'm going to be a little bit honest. I was winded <laughs> off the little hill. And we had driven the majority of the way. Well, Jerusalem is up in the mountains. Jericho was in the valley. It was an elevation difference of 3,300 feet. So when it says that, uh, that the, this Jewish man left Jerusalem and went down uh, to Jericho, we're not talking about like a little two-mile hike. This was maybe three or four, five hours of walking. He's walking down, and because of this uh, deep uh, descent, there were a lot of robbers and bandits that would hide out in the bushes and on the side of the road looking for someone that was traveling by themselves. And according to Jesus' story, as this man was making this descent from Jerusalem down to Jericho, some bandits came out, robbed him, beat him up, jacked him up, and left him on the side of the road for dead. He says, your Jewish neighbor got beat up. He said, um, your Jewish neighbor got beat up. He's left half dead. Uh, and then a priest, by chance, just happens to be walking by on the same day, during the same time that this man got beat up. Now, I love Jesus and how he sets this whole thing up because he intends to be controversial in this parable. The guy's like, uh-huh, I'm following you. Yes. Okay, a priest came. Of course the priest's going to help. He's a priest. The priest looks at the man, crosses the street, and then walks by him. Doesn't help the man at all. I can imagine the religious expert going, oh, okay, maybe the priest... I got it, I got it, I got it. That fits my religious parameters. Yes, the, the priest probably thought the man was dead. And a priest, according to Mosaic law, cannot touch a dead body. Because if a priest touches a dead body, it makes them ceremonial unclean. They can't perform their duties in the temple. So, huh. He goes, then a temple assistant came by. Another Levite, but of lower rank. He walked up to the guy and looked. Man, you jacked up. And then crossed the street. 
and walk by. <laughs> now, the religious expert is probably like, oh, man, that's not very neighborly. We got to do better with our Jewish brethren to make sure that they bond a little bit more and help each other out in times of need. <laughs> and then Jesus just conveniently decides to blow up the whole parable. He doesn't say like, you know, a regular Jew came by. <laughs> after the priest and then after like the temple assistant, like just a random Jew came by of no title or high regard and he helped them. No, mm -mm, he blows up the spot. He's like, then a despised Samaritan came. Now, you got to understand, the first audience, the first person listener, as soon as Jesus says despised Samaritan, probably had like a mental conniption. The religious experts, I probably just started fluttering like, ah, what are you, why are you saying this? And the reason why is because the Jews and the Samaritans were longtime adversaries. The Assyrians had come into the northern uh, territory of Israel and conquered it. And during that time of Assyrian colonization, the Assyrians intermarried with the Israelites. And those generations that came from that bond were known as Samaritans. Samaritans uh, that, that, that embraced their Israeli culture still wanted to um, uh, identify with God, but they were shunned by pure Israelis. So they had to get on uh, their, their, their own side of the mountain, build their own temple, try to have their own worship. You can find out a little bit more about this in John chapter number four when Jesus visits the woman at the well who happens to be a Samaritan woman. The conversation they have about worship goes back hundreds of years talking about the differences in between what was going on and how they worshiped and how Jewish people worshiped. He says a despised Samaritan showed up and he had something that the other two lacked. It was compassion. And when he had that compassion, he went and got down, understood what the wounds were, pulled out some oil, some olive oil and some wine to treat the wound, put him on his donkey, put him in an inn, put up some money for him and then said, if that's not enough money, if he's not healed by the end of this two silver coins, let me know what the bill is. And the next time I'm in town, I'll do it. I'll settle the debt. And then Jesus asked a question that burned a hole through the lawyer's soul. Hey, which one of these three dudes do you think was a neighbor? And I love the Jewish man's response. The religious expert's response, like only a lawyer can do. He is not going to say the Samaritan guy. He goes, the guy that showed mercy. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't even let it go. That's what I love about Jesus. When he's on you, he is on you. Jesus goes, yes. Now you go and do the same. In other words, go be like the Samaritan guy. Religion 
will always walk by. If it doesn't fit into the parameters of what's on the pages of its decrees and its edicts. So there's three points I want you to write down. Point number one, religion can pass by, but love can't pass up. I'll say it again, religion can pass by, but love cannot pass up. Well, well, how, how can religion pass by? Because it has to fit the parameters in order for us to do it. <laughs> Juliet and I uh, started getting this stirring about church planting in 2011, and so we started to kind of go to different uh, churches, check out uh, different churches, and uh, one day we went to a church. Uh, I think we had uh, our youngest son Noah with us, and we came in and we were just, uh, uh, you know, acting like secret shoppers. Hey, how you doing, church? We're a couple in the neighborhood looking for a church home, and so can we get some information? And the sweet lady that was behind the desk said, um, all of the pastors are in a meeting right now planning the weekend service. We said, oh, okay, that's fine. Is there somebody that can probably give us any information on like the children's ministry or something like that? And she goes, I mean, I mean, I can call them, but they're in a meeting. And I was like, yeah, but we're here. Like, right now, we're here. So she's like, well, let me call. Because they're all there in a meeting, strategizing of how to put on an awesome service to be a blessing to people on Sunday. But we inconveniently showed up on Thursday, which is not the day they had planned to be nice to people. They have a day planned to be nice to people. It's not Sunday. I mean, it's not Thursday. It's Sunday. So she calls in the back. Hey, I know. Oh, I know. I know. You. Like, like she. You, like, we didn't need to hear them to know because she. You remember this baby? Okay. So she goes. Um. Yeah, I know. I already tried to tell them. Yep. Nobody can. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll let them know. Okay. Bye. Show them the phone. And then she goes, yeah, um, yeah, then no one's going to be able to come out. And then so Juliet said, well, can you tell us something about the, at least the youth ministry, the young adult ministry? She was like, well, I, I'll tell you about the church. Like, you know, I've known the guy since we were in junior high. So, you know, he doesn't preach that long. And, you know, he's funny. Um, my, my, my kids don't go to the youth group, so I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, I think we're supposed to start a young adult ministry, and we got in the car, and we just drove off, <laughs> and we just said, um, we never want to be them, because religion can pass you by. If it doesn't fit your little context, it will walk right past you, because 
I can help you, but like on this day, though. Not like, I mean, I see you bleeding to death. You have a small pulse. And if it were like the Lord's day, we'd be all over this. But I, I have to be somewhere. Like I have to go like pray for people. Can't pray for you. Now, if they will you into the service, we'll pray for you. But like on the side of the road, I, I can't. If, Jesus, if this was modern day, Jesus would have said, it wouldn't have been a priest and a temple assistant. It would have been a, a senior pastor and an associate pastor. And then for the third one to blow up the spot, he would have picked something that got everybody mad, like a political leader. He'd have just named one of them and you would have just been, oh my God, why you? He, he, he would have he mentioned somebody's community that has a different orientation than yours. He meant to be controversial in the moment because here's what he was trying to say. If why you are going to help people is because they're exactly like you. You have a religious spirit and you are of no use to me in the kingdom of heaven. If you can only pray for people that are like you. Go to the church that you do. Praise and do worship like you do it. Those are the only people you're going to talk to and everyone else you despise. You have a religious spirit. And you don't want relationship. You want your religion. Point number two, write this down. Religion ignores... And love explores. Now, I love, you know, I love words. And so uh, by definition, the word explore means to look into closely, to scrutinize, to examine. And when you think about ignoring and exploring, we're not talking about the fact that uh, a person came by, saw a situation and just chose to ignore it because the temple assistant walked right up to the man. And still ignored them. Religion always can get close, but it chooses to do nothing if it can't fit within the parameters of its decrees and its edict. It will, it, it will get really close. Oh my goodness, look at you. Oh no, can't touch that. Mm. I had the opportunity as a young adult pastor to over a four-year period, uh, do over 2,000 hours of counseling sessions with young adults. If that doesn't give you perspective for all of humanity, nothing will. What I would hear over and over again is you're the first person that has ever had a conversation with me about this. I've shared this with others. No one else wanted to talk about this issue with me. You're the first person that's actually talked about this type of issue that I'm having. Because here's the thing. Religion puts a sign outside that says all are welcome. But the, the small print doesn't show up on the sign. The small print that shows up on the sign says until we know what you're dealing with. Right. 
please come in. This is a hospital. Oh, the church is a hospital. Come one, come all. If you're sick, come in here and get well. Oh, my God. I didn't know. Wow, that's green. I didn't know. I didn't know you had green stuff coming out of your soul. That's pretty. Wow, it's turning purple. Once it hit oxygen, it turned purple. This is disgusting. You're going to have to leave. I didn't know you had those type of problems. Well, yeah, I have green stuff coming out of me, and you said you were at a hospital, so I'm here. Well, look, come to our deliverance service on Tuesday. That's where we deliver people from green stuff. I can't do it in my office. God's not here right now. But, but he'll be here between 7 and 9 at our deliverance service. Make sure you bring an offering. Religion has to, it, it, it's got to fit in the box. Here's the problem with relationships. Relationships don't fit in the box. It gets all messy. It's like, oh, my God. It's the reason why he's Emmanuel. For no other reason is he Emmanuel than he had to show up and relate to us. Isaiah 7, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. When he shows up, he will be able to relate. And the Hebrew writer says he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Touched in all points yet without sin. He can take anything you can throw at him. Whatever issue you have, he is never shocked by it. He doesn't ignore. He just explores. Tell me more about that. The Samaritan woman sits on a well, waits for this woman to come. Broad daylight. No other women out going to the well to draw water. She's the only one, and she's going at a different time because her reputation is really, really bad. Jesus breaking all the religious rules, sitting down and exploring with a Samaritan woman in broad daylight the possibilities that, hey, I know you're like in a mess with like, I think, what has it been, like five marriages, and you're with a dude now, and that's not even your husband. If you have some real water, you will stop being so thirsty. <laughs> Y'all actually thought that word started like in the last two years. <laughs> Folks been thirsty since the Bible. It's right there in the Bible. It's like I, I do everything by the book. It's right there. He explored with her. And do you know what happened after he explored really what was going on in her soul? That woman ran back to her village and evangelized the whole community. And the whole community got saved because he took time to explore past her reputation and deal with the reality of what was really aching her in her heart. Religion doesn't do that. Relationship does. And if we are going to be ambassadors coming out of a church called Embassy City, we can't be religious. We have to be able to relate to people. Even if we haven't been through the same situation they've been through. At least take time. To let, I, I don't understand what you've done. But I want to understand you. And I know this is probably going to get messy. We're probably going to need like seven counseling sessions to really open this up. 
But I'm willing to do that because I want to see you become who God has called you to be. That's what relationship does. Point number three, write this down. Religion hurts, but love heals. Religion hurts, love heals. Now, I told you I was born and raised uh, in church. And uh, I hear a lot of religious people uh, throw around the word truth. It's about the truth. You need the truth because you can't handle the truth. That's why you need the truth. You need the truth of God's word. You need the truth. You don't know the truth. And here's what I realized about the truth. The religious leaders had the truth. And they were killing people with it. Paul had the truth and was killing Christians because religion only deals with the truth, but it doesn't deal with grace. What it said about Jesus in John chapter number one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came full of grace and truth. It's an interesting interesting thing that happens when the Samaritan man gets to the man. He realizes uh, uh, the nature of his wounds, and and he pulls out two things. He pulls out some olive oil, and he pulls out some wine. Now, I'm, you guys know I'm into semantics, I'm into order, I'm into sequence. Uh, I, I looked in all the translations, it's always oil and wine. The oil was before the wine. The oil, when he poured it on the wound, it soothed the wound. It brought comfort. That's grace. The wine, with its alcoholic pro- properties, acted as a disinfectant for the wound. But the oil went on first. Comfort came before discomfort came. There was a soothing before there was an application of the disinfectant. There was something to calm you down before there was something that might sting you to heal you. You see, truth without grace is a blunt instrument that should never be used in the house of God. I grew up in churches that said, if the man, if the truth kill a man, let him die. I mean, I heard pastors, I heard pastors, I mean, they would say it like they were Don Coleon, like they were setting that, like they were putting out a hit, if the truth kill a man. Let them die. But we're going to be about the truth in here. If you don't like it, you can burn in hell. And everybody would be like, amen, pastor. And I'd be like, no. Amen. I'm not amen in that. I don't particularly like burning, especially in hell, for eternity. Jesus came with grace and truth. So, so Jesus comes. And, and, and there's an oil that he puts on to comfort before there's the truth of what you'll have to do that brings discomfort. And he leaves the choice up to you. 
Do we have oil and wine? Or do we just have wine? Because the truth of the matter is, it would be very, very easy for any church, including this one, to get caught up in the rituals, to get caught up in the programming, to get caught up in our own culture. We're Embassy City Church. What church you go to? Oh, that's good, but it's not Embassy City Church. You're getting a religious spirit if you're doing that. If you compare churches, you're getting a religious spirit. Not every church is perfect. Churches can be healthier than other churches, but, but there's no church that's perfect. If you, do, if you want a perfect church, everybody get out, including me. We just all got to get out. Just get in the parking lot, and this will be a holy place. You want, I want 100% holiness in here. Everybody get out. It's the only way you're going to get it. But as long as we open up these doors, people are going to come in. And I know that we're talking about a Samaritan woman, uh, a Samaritan man uh, that's helping this Jewish man who had obvious wounds, physical bruises. There's people that come into these doors every weekend and churches all around our country and around the world every weekend with as many bruises as this man had physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. There's people that show up to church every weekend depressed with thoughts of suicide. People that show up every weekend to church with habitual addictions, compulsive behaviors, Disorders, liars, cheaters. You open up the doors, it's a public venue. Everyone's going to come in. And if the only people you gravitate to are the people that look like you, act like you, talk like you, You're going to start walking past other people that need what you have in your hands. And if the only thing we're pouring out is wine, and there's still a cork over that bottle of oil, we're going to sting people right out of our presence. And then we'll say religious stuff like, they don't want a real church that's after God. I've, I've seen pastors who, who have 10 people that say the reason why no one wants to be here is because I teach the truth and no one can handle it, obviously, except the 10 people in your family. I've had the opportunity to sit down with people 
who hate God are atheists, agnostic, completely different sexual orientation, completely different theology. They believe the Bible says something that I completely do not agree with at all. And they call me friend. I call them friend because they're my neighbor. Even after our disagreement, what I realize is I have the opportunity. God has granted me for some reason the opportunity to have access with this individual. And since they haven't kicked me out of their life for my grace and truth, I just keep showing up to their life with two open bottles. Because one day they may let me pour my oil and my wine on their wound. I don't want to be so religious that I cannot stay in the same room as you because somehow me being in the room with you is going to compromise my salvation. Like I've been saved two hours. Your sin is so overpowering. If I talk to you for 20 minutes, you might compromise my faith. What? If that happens, there's something in you that likes that anyway. So let's not be religious. Let's be relational. Do you know ambassadors spend their life in front of foreigners? Do you know ambassadors spend their life learning other people's languages and cultures so that they can relate to them? Do you know if the U.S. ambassador to China did not know Mandarin Chinese, he couldn't be in China? If he didn't want to eat squid that was still moving, he has to move back to the U.S. now. Because you can't relate to people if you're always offended by them. Do you know why sinners don't offend me? Can I just be completely honest? I'm trying to stop, but I'm going to stop in a minute. Uh, do you know why sinners do not offend me? Because they're sinners. Like, I get it. I used to be one. Makes perfect sense to me. You like that. You don't even know why you like it. I know why you like it. You don't even know why you like it. You know the lie that is making you think it's the reason why you like it, but you don't know the truth. But if you give me the opportunity, I would love to break down why you should leave that city state and join this wonderful kingdom. That's my ambassadorial duty. And I have the privilege to do it with people that disagree with me about a lot of stuff, but still call me their friend. I want us to be the same way. And we won't do that with a religious perspective on how to reach people, but we can do it with a relational perspective that allows us to see people turn into images of Christ. So, religion or relationship? Let me ask it a different way. Who's your neighbor? If the answer is anything less than everybody, time to get rid of a religious spirit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message?
I'm so glad we have an opportunity to talk about stuff like this because I think by peeling this stuff away, it's just going to give us a freer access into God's presence and a freer ability to relate to people in theirs. We do this every single weekend, and as they were singing that last song about coming to the altar, it was, it was such a holy moment for me because of what the altar represents. It represents relationship. The reason why we have people down at the front to do altar ministry is because it's, it's about relationship. We want there to be a point of contact. We want somebody to look you right in the eyes and let them know, no matter what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, we love you. We're here for you. We want to reach out to you. That's what I've always loved about altar ministry. I still take the opportunity to come down to the altar and get prayer when my heart and my soul needs it. And I can get it on the weekends, but I can also get it all through the week. I have friends and family and people that just love to pray with me. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, Maybe you didn't grow up in a culture where people prayed or maybe you grew up in a culture where if someone prayed for you, it became the fodder for next week's sermon. It's another thing religion does to try to manipulate and control. But this is not that. So I encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, just come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?